Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for their blogs and also looking to make improvements in their lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Taryn Soli from Hot Pan Kitchen, and we will be discussing what not to focus on when you're getting started with food blogging. Taryn is the content creator, food photographer, and recipe developer behind Hot Pan Kitchen, a gluten-free recipe blog that focuses on mostly real foods with some treats thrown in. She shoots photography for brands, bloggers, and restaurants, and she has been creating content for about two years, which puts her in a sweet spot where she has some experience, but she also remembers what it was like getting started. So she wants to impart the things she has learned in order to help food bloggers who are just starting out. Hey, Taryn, thank you so much for being here. And I am so excited for our chat today. Before we dive into the topic of what not to do, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. Hi, I'm happy to be here. Um, I, I actually have two quick fun facts, if that's okay, both Ooh, around naming. So um, first, um, the name for my blog, Hot Pan Kitchen, is actually from one of my boys. I have twin five-year-old boys. Oh, um, cool. Yeah. Well, yes. Uh, and uh, sometimes. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of my boys... Um, when he was real young, um, loved pans and he would want to touch them and we would have to say, no, 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 hot pan, you know, to try and keep him away to help him understand. And then it just got, it turned we were saying it all the time and he started saying it all the time. So I started it around, I started my blog around that time and it just a hot pan kitchen. That's what it was. That is so uh, fun. I yeah, love that. It's pretty cute. Um, and then the other one around my name. So my name, Taryn actually came from a bank teller back when people what? had to go to the bank <laughs> to get money. Oh. <laughs> so yeah, it was totally, my mom wanted to name me, um, Hillary. My dad wanted to name me Michelle, which are total 80s names. Um, they ended up on Taryn. Anyway, fun facts. And that Taryn is such a unique name. So I love that. And I love that it's from a bank teller of all places. <laughs> I, know. So I have never met this bank teller, but I am named after <laughs> wherever you are, bank teller Taryn. Hi. Thank you. <laughs> That was awesome. Thank you, Taryn, for sharing that. Now, let's get to our main topic today and the reason you're here, what not to focus on when you are getting started with food blogging. And this topic today will be directed mostly for newer food bloggers. So keep that in mind as you're listening. I absolutely love the idea of focusing on what we should not be doing because so often we get information that tells us what we should be doing, right? So it's great, obviously, to be doing the right things. But if we're also doing the wrong things, then it's counterproductive. So Taryn, take us through some of the things you have learned in your journey and what you wish you would not have focused on when you were starting out. Yes. Yeah, so um, there's a number of things. And um, I'm sure if you ask mostly any food blogger, they would have things they wish they had not focused on. So, um, mm, yes. so yeah, so I have, I definitely have a couple and I will say that this is 
not only based on my experience, but you know, the, the food blogging community, it's both large and small, large meaning that there's a lot, but small meaning that it's a very tight knit group. And so um, I have picked up on other things that people have said, which a lot of it reinforces things that, that I would say also don't focus on. Um, so one of the first things, and this is something I remember um, being really concerned about when I started is your logo and your colors, um, which, um, you know, can be important, but it's so like, it's, it's number like 25 on the list of things to do, you know, when you're first starting, um, you want to define a brand, but you don't want to spend a lot of money on it. And, um, you know, there are people out there who you can do it yourself on something like Canva. Um, you know, there, you might, maybe you have a graphic design friend who can help you, um, a little bit here and there, but, um, you know, I spent more money than I probably should have on, uh, on doing that right off the bat. And, um, it's something that I wish I would have had done waited to do a little bit later. And there are pretty affordable services too that you can yes. look for and just have someone quickly design you a logo. Are you familiar with any of those? You know, I'm not. I haven't um I had I went the friend route eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so um but I know that there are um yeah, I'm sure if you were to ask in any of like the Facebook groups, um the food blogging Facebook groups, you would get some recommendations. Is Upwork one? I'm oh, feeling like I've never used them, but I feel like someone just recommended recommended that to me. Um, so that might be something to look into. But yeah, the Facebook groups would be a great place to ask around. And I do feel like most of us have friends yes. that have graphic design skills. So that is always a really great place to start. I think it's really great advice not to put too much emphasis on logos and having a perfect looking website. Basically, food bloggers, when you are starting out, count on things changing oh, yes. as you figure out yes. like who you mm -hmm. are as a food For blogger sure. and as you figure out how you want to serve your readers. Get a logo and website together that speaks to you. Obviously, you want that. But do this keeping in mind that your vision is going to change and evolve. Just like that's a given. Yes. So the bottom line, I think, for food bloggers at any stage of the game is creating constant quality content. So that really should be the focus. Yes. And you mentioned the websites as well. And that is kind of goes into the next thing I was going to say, which is website design, right? Like, don't worry about having the super fancy web website, make sure it works, make sure it's works okay for mobile, you know, that's really important. But, um, but don't worry about having all these fancy slides and, you know, all these cute little boxes, I mean, just just get something that is plain and simple and works. Because like you said, you're probably going to change your mind yes. <laughs> at some point. Um, and you don't want to waste time or money um, fiddling around with it. I did that way too often in the beginning. I thought I was being productive, mm -hmm. but I was actually just wasting my time and energy by going in and I would like put yes. a slideshow in and yes. like my photos would, you know, like move across the screen. And I thought it looked really cool, but I spent a lot of time messing with that. And I could have actually been doing other things that yeah. dealt with creating content. So I do think pick your battles basically when it comes right. to putting up your content. And really, it doesn't have to be fancy. If you have nice looking photos and mm -hmm. you are creating quality stuff, that's really all that matters. Right. And that's all that people want to see anyway. Yes. The quality content and also content that is focused on your audience and not just on you. <laughs> I think that's 
something else that people tend to, uh, I, or I, I should say, I know I did when I first started out is I was focused on the recipes I wanted to make. I was focused on what I was doing. It was I was using it like as a diary <laughs> a little bit. Oh, sure. Know? And I think that's really common um, when you start um, because that's what you know. And it takes a little while to build up that audience to know um, what they're after. Um, but if you want to have your blog as a business. If if you want to have it as a hobby and you're doing it just for fun and you know you just you want it to be about you, go for it. Do you like that great. If you want it to be a business, you're going to have to pay attention to your audience more than you pay attention to, you know, yourself. Absolutely. And I think this has changed over the years. Mm-hmm. Back when I started like 9 million years ago, the popular <laughs> style yeah. was to include all of that information about how my boys were doing right. and how cute they were and the funny things they said and what my husband liked sure. to eat. And I wrote about all of that garbage. And looking back to my older posts, I'm like, who cares? I am sure that nobody yeah. cared what I was writing about. And I've changed a lot of those and like combed through them. But Google, I think, has since kind of shown us what is important to write about. And it's not us. Right. Nobody wants to hear about us. It's our content. So you are so right on with that, I think. And just like really paying attention to your audience and your readers and what do they want from you? What are they asking you for? And providing them with that information. Yes. And it's so, it even goes into like naming your recipes, right? Because I remember starting out and picking like really fun or like alliterative names for my recipes, you know, like, like, you know, and I like the one that's coming to mind right now is I have this um, and it's still named this because it does decent, but it's like simple summer berry paleo parfait. You know, I mean, it's just like, I just, I can, I, it's, it's so silly great. to me. It, it works okay. Like there's enough keywords in there that it works, but like, I'm just like, no, you can't do that anymore. You I have to know. Like, get on, like get keywords everywhere, which is a free plugin. Or, you know, if you, if you're really into it, um, you know, you're really into SEO and maybe you're a more advanced blogger do, you know, what is it, SEMrush, I think. Yes. And, yep. Uh, Ahrefs um, are two other ones that are paid services that are are definitely on the pricier side. Um, what is the second one you mentioned? It, it's I, I'm going to botch the name because it's spelled A H R E F S. Oh, gotcha. But I think it's pronounced Ahrefs. Yes. So I don't know. <laughs> uh, but those are the two that I've, I've heard about the most. Uh, and so, uh, and those are you know advanced keywording tools. But just get the keywords everywhere plugin you know, and search for things, see what the search volume is, because my guess is nobody is searching for simple summer berry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're not alone. I think we all did that. And even like as recent as three-ish years ago, I thought I was always being clever too. I have this one recipe that was like a quesadilla with steak. So steak quesadilla. But I thought I was so cool. I was like steak fajita dia because it was like (laughs) fajita and quesadilla combined. And I thought this is going to be amazing. Yeah, no. (laughs) Well, steak quesadilla is probably a great keyword. (laughs) Right, exactly. But you do think that like, oh, wow, I came up with this alliteration or this clever word. Everyone's going to love this. And like, yeah, that goes way to the bottom. So (laughs) not necessarily the greatest idea. (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, it is definitely a necessity these days to focus on SEO and whatever avenue you decide to use, whether it's paid or not. It's super important, especially in your titles and in your descriptions. So if you are not doing that, food bloggers, do it. And it is worthwhile also, I have found, to go back to older posts that are named something like fajita dia and to change that. Yes. And don't I like the the recommendation that I have read over and over again is don't change the slug. Oh, yes. So, you know, like the actual website address. Um, but but you can change the title and um, and other headings and all that, like all the rest of it can be changed. Just don't change, unless you're going to do a redirect, don't change the slug. So um, yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> I made that mistake. It was not a good thing to fix. Yeah. So yes. No, it's not fun. <laughs> no, it was not. That is great advice, Taryn. What are some more of your tips? Let's hear some more. One area kind of we haven't talked about is um, like the products. And by products, I mean like the the physical things you use as a food blogger. So um, camera, right? Like if you're going to be a food blogger, you're going to need a camera. But when you're first starting out, don't worry about getting the fanciest camera. Like you don't need to go out and get the Canon, you know, 5D Mark IV. Like that is very expensive. You know, you probably don't even need a full frame camera. Get a older version crop sensor. Start out with your camera phone. There are a lot of courses for camera phones out there that people can take some really great photos. Eventually, you might want to upgrade, but don't worry about doing that right away because it's really expensive and you don't know what you're going to want. You know, take photos for a while and then figure out maybe in a year or two or even three or four what you're going to want. And you can also tell you can rent cameras. So um, when you get there, you can find a local camera shop. And I don't even know, I don't think B&H Photo does this. They're an online um, retailer, um, and who's really a great resource. But um, I know local camera shops will rent you photos or lenses, um, not photos, cameras or lenses that you can try out so that you can get a better idea for what you want when the time comes. That is a great suggestion because I didn't know that starting out and I don't know how many other people know that. But yeah, that is an option. Take the time to research, but also try some rentals out and see if you like them before investing and use what you have basically is what I always think and upgrade when you can and after you've put some thought into it. But do not let limited equipment stop you from starting because right. a lot of people do. They're like, well, I can't start a food blog because I don't have a good camera. That's not a good reason. And it's not it, like I've, I've something else I've heard before is, you know, it's not the camera, it's the photographer. So don't focus so much on the camera. Focus on your skills, focus on your photography skills, focus on your editing skills, you know, build. And there's, again, a lot of great resources and courses out there for that. Um, but focus on that first. And, and then once you've developed that side and you realize that your camera is starting to limit you, that's when you want to start to upgrade. Also great advice. I think that eventually when you get better and better, having a better equipment does serve you well and it yeah. actually saves time. 
But again, it's not a good reason not to start and not to keep improving your skills and training your eye and working on your styling and all of that. So don't let it limit you. Yeah, for sure. What other products did you have in mind for food bloggers to keep on their radar? Yeah. So um, the other thing that is like super fun to look at and really fun to like collect are backdrops, <laughs> like the boards, yes. you know, I mean, and there's so many out there and they're so pretty and, you know, it's like, oh, I could create this great scene with it. But um, they can be really expensive. Most of them Absolutely. are. Um, and especially when you're first starting out, you think you might want to shoot things one way, but then you find out after shooting for a while that, you know, I really don't like this. This is you know, this XYZ backdrop is giving me a blue cast. And I don't really like that. Or I thought I wanted more like dark and moody, but really I want light and bright. And so the backdrop that, you know, this whatever $200 backdrop that I bought is now not serving me at all. So um, what I actually did, um, so I bought, I have several backdrops that I don't use. So mistake on my part. Um, But one thing that did help is um, I went to a Home Depot and I bought some kitchen tiles, like not the square ones, but like the... um, Like ceramic tiles? Yes. Kind of like a ceramic, like very large ones. And and I put them together. They look like wood. They're meant to look like wood, but they're stone. And, um, And I put them together and they just rest together. Um, and that's what I, after a while, that's what I started to photograph on because I was like, I think I like this, but I don't like it enough to buy another $200 backdrop. Yeah. So I'm going to try this out, you know, and now like those tiles were kind of a grayish and I like them just fine, but I'm really gearing more towards light and bright now. And those tiles don't serve me for my blog. They serve me for, I do freelance as well, freelance photography. And so they serve me for that. But, um, you, I mean, when you're just starting out, you just, you have to like dive in and figure out what you like and it's going to take a while to get there. This too is great advice because like you just said, it is so exciting when you're first getting started, you see all of these pretty backdrops and you just want them all right. Cause they all look so amazing and you can envision different foods on a variety of different surfaces that you could potentially photograph on. But in reality, we all end up using the same handful of backdrops over and over. I have cycled through favorite backdrops over the years, but at any given moment, I only have two that I use and one light and one dark. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and you don't need five different light backdrops unless I should caveat this, unless you are doing like freelance photography for other people that in that case, you might need more backdrops than just one or two. But when you're starting out, that's usually not the case. Um, and you you really don't need that many. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I love your ceramic tile thing that you figured out from oh. Home Depot. I think yeah. we all kind of get to the point where we realize that these are really expensive and we need to do something a little bit more affordable. And we just start going through Home Depot and finding things that work. I did the same thing. And my thing was... I found in the plywood section, there are these two by four boards. They're called MDF boards. Uh And their surface is like super smooth. So I have a handful of those. And what I do is I either spray paint them or I buy that peel and stick granite and just stick it on. Yes. So it looks like I have 
a really nice white granite countertop when I actually do not. But yes. I love those boards because they're really easy to move around. I keep them right in my living room. And when I'm not using them, I just like stick them behind our couch. They're awesome. And then you can also go on to YouTube yes, and just search. I was just going to say that. Yep. Yeah. Search DIY food photo backdrop and you will find a million different ways to paint backdrops. There are so many options. So you can use like spray paint. So super cheap. Um, you can also, here's another tip. You can go to Home Depot and get like those little free samples. So it's like a really tiny container, but they're free. Oh. So you can. Oh, yes. Yeah. So you can take any color over to the paint counter and they will give you a free sample. So you can try that. Spray paint is super affordable. Um, there are really are so many cheap options that are out there. You just have to be a little bit creative. I was also going to mention vinyl mats. Have you used those in the past? No, I haven't. So I found mine on Etsy, I think, but they're like, I'd say like three feet by three feet and they're... Oh, like an ink and elm, I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm, yeah. I've heard of them. I haven't seen them. I use them. I don't use them now, but I used them years ago. But they just roll up. So starting out, it's a really great option. They're like 15 ish dollars, I think. And they come in all different colors. They, some of them look like wood. Those are kind of nice starting out because they are easy to store. They're very affordable and they they look fine. How did you find that? I've heard, um, on, I don't know particularly those ones, but on some vinyl, there can be a bit of a glare issue. Did you find that or no? Yes, there definitely okay. was. So, I mean, they're not like the best quality, but if you are just yeah. starting out and you want something affordable and you want some different options, that might be a good right. place to start. Or for like backgrounds, like if you don't have a good um, background yeah. area, you know, like just get a white or like a subway tile photo or something to put on the vinyl. Yeah, absolutely. So those are good places to start. What other things besides cameras and backdrops? Do you have anything else along those lines? Well, we've kind of talked a little bit uh, or mentioned it several times, but courses. There are so many courses out there. And um, and, I, and even now, but particularly more so when I started out, I was like, give me all the courses, right? Like, yeah. I'm going to... So, and there's... To be fair, there is a lot to learn. It is a steep, steep learning curve yes. to be a food blogger, if, especially if you don't have any website or background, like fo- photography background. Yeah. Um, so it is it is a steep, steep learning curve. Um, and you do, you know, it is helpful to take some courses if you need that information. Um, but there's so many and you really have to be, you have to pick and choose. Like I've, I've taken probably more curses than I would like to admit to. And certainly more than I would like to tell my husband I paid for, (laughs) 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 you know, and, and while honestly, most of them were pretty good and most of them were helpful. There were a couple where I was like, you know what, this wasn't the right course for me, maybe for somebody else, but not for me. Or, um, you know, this isn't, this is too advanced and I really should have, like, maybe I'll come back to it later, but I shouldn't have started out with this. Um, and so you have to, you know, my advice would be to um, ask others, ask other food bloggers or search in the Facebook groups, get in on those Facebook groups because they're so valuable for resources. Um, but uh, search and see what people are saying had the biggest impact for them or take an area that you know that you 
are the most lacking in or an area that you think is going to make the biggest difference and get one course for that, you know, and that could be like, I know some big ones for um, food bloggers, you photography, obviously, is a huge one. Um, SEO that you know, we've already kind of discussed, that's a huge one. Um, and Pinterest is a really big one, too. Um, and those like, to me, um, if I could go back and tell myself, you know, if you're going to get courses, I know you want to get them all, but focus on like these three. Um, pick one, start with it, see where it gets you. Photography would probably be my first, um, my like first course to do because if you don't have good photography, it kind of is what's, you know, what are you doing? So you got to, you really got to build that up. Um, in my opinion, your food needs to look good first and foremost. Um, yeah, I agree with that. Starting with food photography, it is so easy to get sucked into all the things when you're first getting started. I think this piece of advice is super important because like we mentioned in the beginning, we have to be filling our brains with the right things. You touched on some great things, Taryn, and it's so important to ask around, ask trusted bloggers what they've done, put your questions out into the forums, and don't be afraid to reach out to bloggers that you don't even know, say ones that have amazing food photos, and just ask them, what do they recommend? How did they get to where they're at? So what advice do you have, Taryn, about figuring out which courses are worthwhile? Like if someone has their eye on something and also which courses suit their individual needs? I mean, I think it, I think it really just comes down to evaluating yourself and your strengths and your weaknesses. Um, because, you know, I mentioned that in, in my opinion, photography is a really big it's like kind of numero uno, right? Like you, you really need to, if you're going to be a food blogger, then you need to have at least decent photos. And I, and I say that acknowledging that almost every food blogger could go back to their first post and be like, Ooh, those yeah. photos, you know, like everybody has those. Oh yes. <laughs> so, um, so, so don't let it keep you from starting, but I would say that that's one of the biggest things to work on first. Um, and, and as I mentioned, like Pinterest and SEO are, you know, those are kind of the, from, from what I've seen in Facebook groups from, from the other food bloggers that I know, Pinterest and Google are where the vast majority of people's traffic comes from. And if you want to build up your traffic, then you, you're going to need to work on your SEO and you're probably going to need to work on your Pinterest. And, um, and things are always changing for both of those. Um, so those would be two really important things to nail down. Absolutely. And to go kind of along with the Pinterest theme, I saw in your notes you had something about pinning parties. Do you want to talk about those and how yeah. you feel about those? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, and what, like, I should explain, like, what, what I am referring to with a pinning party, and, and hopefully people understand, like, food, other food bloggers may understand that, more experienced ones. But what I mean is when, you know, there are groups where um, everybody posts a pin to a, a post in a Facebook group, and then you go back and you pin either everybody's pin or um, the last 10 people in the post or something like that. And it can be so time consuming to do that. And for me, anyway, I'm in, you know, I'm in a gluten free niche. And um, that, you know, not everybody's 
um, pins were necessarily gluten-free. And so it really, it was not helping me at all. And it was so time consuming. And I was just like, why am I doing this? This is not getting me anywhere. Um, and it just, it was not for some people, maybe that works. And maybe if you have a VA that does it and you do see traffic from it, great. If you're a more advanced blogger, but in the beginning, I would not recommend doing that. (laughs) It's kind of a time suck. And I don't know. I mean, I've done it just very sparingly and I never really saw results from it. Did you ever see massive results from it? Not not at all. And I check analytics fairly frequently. um, And I just, I was like, what that, which is what made me realize I am wasting my time doing this. There's so like, I could be instead making new pins that are suited for Pinterest, you know, for my old content, and I could put those out and maybe those will get traction, as opposed to trying to like push this one pin onto some random people who don't even have a gluten free eye. You know, that's that's kind of funny. The fact that pinning parties don't produce real results just backs up the whole concept that sincerity is massively important to social media platforms like Pinterest. Consistency and authenticity is way more important, not just on Pinterest, but everywhere. So I think that the fact that those did not really produce real results is a sign that maybe we shouldn't be doing them anymore. Yes. And it's just too, like, for me anyway, you go through and there's all these pins, right? And you're looking at all the pins and you see what everyone else is doing. And you like, it starts to fill your head. You know, and you're just like, oh, this person is doing this cool pin and oh, this person is doing this. And it's just it's it just gets to be so overwhelming. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, Pinterest in itself is just so saturated with content. It's overwhelming in itself. But when you're like hyper focused on one pin, (laughs) I think it's just really important to point out that. We need to figure out what we're spending our time on. And if there are things that we're doing that are not producing real results, that we should direct our attention to something that is more worthwhile. Well, yeah. And I think, truthfully, I think that's kind of the theme. If there was an overarching theme to bring it back to like ninth grade English, like let's talk about the thesis of what we're, you know, um, is, is that you can't particularly when you're beginning, but really through, in my opinion, through the course of your blogging career, don't focus on the the things that um, are are wasting time for you or the things that you can like nitpick, you know, and we talked about like the logo or the website design or the fancy camera, you know, that sure that stuff is great. But what matters is your audience. And what matters is the content that you're putting out there and how you're connecting to your audience. And if you're not doing that, then you're not going to get very far. You're just not, you know. We mentioned this before, but it's not about us. We are providing content for other people. So we have to keep that in mind. I think that's really important. Yes. And kind of what you just said about other people, it brought up something else is there's a lot of food bloggers out there and it's really easy to get distracted by what other people are doing Um, and to fall into that comparison trap of you know, like, look at, oh, gosh, this person is doing video, I really need to be doing video or, um, or whatever, whatever the case may be. But you got to keep your eyes on your own paper. I totally agree with this. And I think this comparison trap is so dangerous to get sucked into. I've been there. I think we've all been there at some point. But food bloggers, please heed Taryn's advice and keep in mind that it is not fair to compare someone's day one 
to someone else's day 9,000. It's just not productive. And your story is your story. Let your journey unfold in the way it's meant to and enjoy it because we're supposed to enjoy this job. Right? I mean, we all do this because (laughs) that's the goal. I know that is the goal. We do it because we want more freedom and we want more time with our families and we want more time at home and we want flexibility. So keep that in mind and just do your best to enjoy it. Keep your eyes on your own work. Yes. And I'm, I'm, as you're saying this, I'm laughing a little bit because, you know, I know a lot, this is how I started and I know a lot of other people started where food blogging is like, it starts as like a hobby or a side gig, right? And so, like, we do it. It's so funny because, you know, you do it to, to be able to have freedom and to spend time with your family. But initially, you don't have freedom. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. Spend, you spend as much time with your family. But uh, but you can. Like, it, it does. It takes work. Um, it does. It takes work to get there. You know, it's kind of this irony, I guess, a little bit. But, um, but one thing I think that helps get you there, and what we, you know, we're talking about, you know, looking at other content creators and not the comparison trap. But um, one thing I would say that has at least helped me um, counteract that is collaboration. I think it's so important. Um, I've seen it in, in when I've reached out to other food bloggers, everyone is so wonderful in this community. There's that I've run into at least like there, there's such an attitude of helpfulness Absolutely. of like, you know, I'm not worried about you taking away from my audience, let's work together to build our audiences together. Um, and you know, I've made just reaching out like a, like DMing on Instagram. I've made some really great friends. Um, you know, I just a couple months ago sent somebody a wedding gift because she's getting married. You know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's such a wonderful community and don't be afraid to reach out even to, to, you know, Big bloggers. I remember the first time I I had actually, te- you know, Michelle Tam with Nom Nom Paleo. Are you familiar? Yeah. yeah. Yep. She's someone who I would consider a big blogger, right? And I, I adore her. I think her stuff is amazing. Um, and I remember the first time I like I I was like making a recipe, one of her recipes, and I tagged her. And this was like one or two months into food blogging, and she responded on DMs, and I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it was like this huge like deal. But she's that's person, so funny. You know, like we're all just people. I know we're all just doing what we love, and um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out because chances are, um, you know, the person will respond, and you might make a friend, and and you can work together. So absolutely, we are all just people. So. I think your advice to reach out to other bloggers whose work we might admire is a great thing for newer bloggers to hear because I wish someone had given me permission to do that when I was a young blogger because I always thought I couldn't like it was you don't feel worthy enough like oh I only have 50 followers or I only have like each use a week it doesn't matter. We've all been there, you know? It doesn't matter. And don't be afraid to send that email or direct message on social media because most people will be more than happy to hear from you. I promise. For sure. Before we start wrapping up, I wanted to say this before I forget it. You all, we all have unique strengths that make every one of you amazing. And there is value in every single one of your journeys. So I think it's important to keep that in mind, kind of to go along with that comparison trap theme. And then also, there is room for all of us. Every single one of us provides something unique to the food blogging table. So keep that in mind too. Find what your strengths are. 
and lean into them. I, I have a business coach, um, Nicole. Well, it's actually her and her husband, Nicole and Dan Culver, and they're always talking about finding your magic. And, um, you know, everybody has their own brand of magic. You just have to find out what it is. And it may take a while to get there, but yes. you have it. You have it in you. I love that. That is such an awesome place to end. Wow. That was like perfection. <laughs> Ending on magic. <laughs> that was serious. We didn't even plan that. No. I just loved how that, that came together. <laughs> Do you have any last gems before we say goodbye, Taryn? I do. You know, what's so funny is um, I was I've been thinking about this and um, I was like, oh, maybe I should, you know, there was one thing that kind of popped out of me and I, I heard it last week and then I heard it again today when I was listening to a different podcast and I'm like, okay, this is a sign. I need to, <laughs> I need to oh, good. information. So, and it actually is from, um, again, from Nicole and Dan Culver. Um, Dan said this recently and it was to get something new and different you're going to have to give up something old and familiar. So um, we've talked about how difficult this blogging journey can be. Um, and I remember when I started, I watched a lot of TV. <laughs> I love I love my TV, you know, and, um, and I was really resistant because it was my downtime. You know, it was, I have two five-year-old boys, you know, I um, was working full time at the time and it was just a lot. And I was like, you know, I'm gonna have to, um, give something up. If this is what I want, I'm going to have to give something up. I'm going to have to kind of step into this uncomfortable place and, um, and do something new. That is amazing advice. One more nugget, because I think it is so hard to give up those things that we're kind of holding on to. Yeah. But when we do, when we allow ourselves to do that, we are greatly rewarded for it. Yeah, right. Yes. And you don't see that until you do it. And you don't even believe it before it happens. You're like, no, that couldn't possibly be. But it is so true. I love that we're ending on this note. So thank you for sharing that. I loved that. And I loved our chat today. It was really fun. I think newer food bloggers especially are going to find great value in your words and everything we talked about today. So thank you so much, Taryn, for taking the time to be here. I really appreciate it. Oh, no, it was so fun. I love chatting about all this stuff. Who doesn't? What food blogger doesn't love chatting about food blogging? I know. <laughs> I know. I had someone ask me, a non-food blogger asked me the other day, aren't you going to get tired of talking about food blogging topics? And I was like, no way. I love it all. Bring it I on. It. <laughs> Taryn has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, and those can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Taryn, and that is spelled T-A-R-Y-N. Taryn, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. Um, I am, my well, my website, first off, hotpankitchen.com, um, and I am mostly on um, Instagram, which my Instagram handle is hotpankitchen.com. So those are the, and email, Taryn at hotpankitchen.com. Those are the best places to get a hold of me. Awesome. Thanks for listening today, food bloggers. And I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.